0: Hi, friends. This is Brittany Bailey. Welcome to Sit with Britt. I am here today with Bree Sedano, who is an amazing financial expert. She is the founder of sheep to shark which is a financial planning firm that works with people who aspire to be financially successful. Bree is someone who I've known from the mastermind world when I was in Digital Insiders. Um, she's just an all-around amazing person, and she has such a fun energy. So I'm really excited to share her with you guys today. Welcome, Bree. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm so excited. I'm pumped to be here with you. Awesome. So I know we're going to get into some good stuff about goal setting. We're going to get into some stuff around money, but real quick, if you could just give us like a synopsis of who you are, who you help, and maybe just a little bit about how you got to where you are today.
1: Sure. So uh, I, when I finished college, I started in the nonprofit world and, uh, I taught myself how to trade stock options because I didn't make any money there. I was like, like I had a, you know, I was, I got married young, so I had a mortgage and a baby and I was, you know, I live in Connecticut, um, which is not the, the least expensive of all the States and teaching myself how to trade stock options. It took a while and I was all right at it. And I did that because at the time I was happy where I was. And then as time went on, I kind of outgrew, I, I outgrew the roles that I was in. Um, and I started to be really unhappy. And so one day I was whining. My mom was like, well, you already taught yourself how to trade stock options. Why don't you just like pass the Series 7? And so that's what I did. And so I started my career in finance as like I sold stocks and bonds and mutual funds and I helped people pick out their investments. Um, and I did that for a good few years. But what I realized was People were coming to see me and they didn't have problems that better investments could fix. Like they weren't coming to see me like, great. I have so much extra money. Help me diversify this portfolio and meet my investment objectives with the best mutual funds available. Like they were like, dude, I have credit cards from my first marriage and I'm on my third. What's wrong with me? Or i make $300,000 a year and have $400 in my savings account. What am I doing wrong? I'm still paying on these student loans, and my own kids are about to go to college. And so I realized that the work that people at, like the help that people actually needed in money, is at a way different level than what investments to choose. And so I started working with my clients on cash flow planning and budgets. And what I found is that was remarkably unsuccessful. Remarkably. Like I would make the budgets with them, and we would put all the line items in, and it would be so sexy to me and so perfect. And then they wouldn't do it. <laughs> they wouldn't do it. And these are people who are very successful in life. These are not, these are these are people who are who are good parents and involved in the community and very successful in their careers. And so what I started realizing was that a plan isn't like enough. Like a plan isn't enough to actually make a difference in your personal finance uh, finances. So we started working on habits, and that helped a bit. And then we started working on mindset, and that helped a bit. And then the real magic started happening when we started looking at the feelings, like the emotions and community. And so when you put all of those together, uh, people are set up for success. And um, like the mission of my work is to teach people the skill set required to use money like a tool like to use money um, effectively and to build the life that they actually want. That's like the mission of Shoot to Sharks.
0: That's amazing. I want to go back to a point in your story where you said you were in the nonprofit world and you loved what you're doing, but you weren't making the money that you wanted. So you taught yourself to trade stock options. And that's so interesting to me because I think, the first inclination would maybe be like a, a side hustle or something that's, you know, less like intimidating. So I'm curious, like what got you into trading stocks as like your way to make more money? So
1: one, you can do it from your phone. I was already working. I mean, I was already a mom. I, I had a, you know, I didn't have an, and at the time I might have been in school full-time additionally There was a couple of years that when we when we were first married and when Miranda was born, um, there was there was a couple of years where I worked full time and I was in school full time and I had a baby. And so I didn't have time. I didn't. I wasn't there. I didn't have anything else to give like that way. Um, And I'm a nerd. Like I am the nerdiest. I couldn't. I mean, I seem real cool, but I'm not. I'm not, I like reading the charts. I like reading the reports and I like playing like on, um, there's a platform, uh, TD Ameritrade's got a platform called Thinkorswim and you can like do your back trading. And so I took a class on how to, you know, I I learned a lot of it on my own. I, I went, I like watched, I don't even know how many millions of hours of videos and read books about how to do this stuff. And then I took a class and honestly, right now I don't even trade stock options because I find it to be so stressful. <laughs> like, I can't, I'm like, I can't run Facebook ads and trade stock options. I just can't, like my body like can't, can't even handle it. So I. Uh, it's funny that like, yeah, people are like, tell me how to do it. And I'm like, no, no, I can't, sorry. I don't, I don't teach on that like at all because the one is super speculative. I got lucky enough. Um, but I don't think I was like, I mean, I, I, I made money, I made money and it served its purpose and I'm glad that I was, that I did it, but, uh, that's not, we don't teach that at sheep to shirk. <laughs> uh, it's funny. Yeah. But that's how it, that's how I did it. Yeah. I didn't have time or space for a side hustle.
0: Yeah, I, That's insane that you're doing all of that. That's amazing. I wonder if that impacts the way now that you teach, cause there's something very like raw and like we were talking about before we hit record like the way that you approach your students and the way that you approach your teaching is very like I'm just going to call it out here's the issue let's talk about it and I wonder if that comes from your early days of just being like my back's against the wall like we just got to do it there's no like we can't talk around the subject we can't you know get into anything fluffy like we just gotta make something work here
1: I, yeah and what I th- think is like one of the major issues in personal finance and most of the stuff that you will read or you'll hear about or the conventional wisdom is that most personal finance work makes a plan for money it makes a plan for the money the inanimate object that needs to be moved and controlled by an actual imperfect human being who has feelings and has a ton of shit to do today and that's, I think, where like the big disconnect is. And so what I realized, so when we were first married, I came up with this way that may, I could manage money because budgets were not working for me. And listen, I'm not a stupid person. Like, I, I like, you know, a lot of times people tend to think, like, I can't make this budget work. It must be because I'm stupid. I lack intelligence. And that's not it at all. It's one that budgets are really... They're, the way that they're structured is really not made for mental accounting, which is where you, you need to be able to hold some numbers in your head to be able to effectively do a budget. But budgets aren't really set up for mental accounting. And so there's kind of a, a, like a disconnect there between like the plan and the human who has to do the plan. Right. So we have this plan in place. But if you don't perpetually have your plan available and updated at all times, then your plan falls apart because you're a human with a human brain. It's very inconvenient. Um, And so anyways, I'm I came up with like this money management system that now I have courses on. It's called the invisible system where you like separate the money by purpose rather than by line item and you like divvy your money up. So that way it goes to where you need it to go. And then you're left with like one number that you have to keep track of, which is like, how much money can I spend before my next paycheck? Because that's the number people actually need to keep track of. um, Yeah, that's where the, when you're like, all right, well, I have $160 between now and Friday and I have gas in my car and I have food. Yes, I can go for margaritas with you today because we're not going to spend $160 on that unless we get real wild which, you know, from time to time may happen, but if you have like $24, you're going to be like, no, no, I'm not going to go out for margaritas, but you can come over to my house and I'll feed you my one avocado that I have in my fridge. Do you want that? You know, but you can, you can make decisions in a way better fashion when you're not trying to keep track of all of your numbers at all, all at the exact same time.
0: That makes so much sense. And it's like, you know, I have seen every single budget system out there. Like we worked with James Ramsey, we've done all these things and they all have their merit. I'm sure they're, you know, it's great, but I've never heard anybody explain budgets that way, the way that you just explained it, because it's true. Like you're at the grocery store and you're like pulling your card out and you're trying to remember like, wait, is this the account that has the stuff that needs, like the, is the mortgage going to come out of this account? Or like, you're trying to work through all of this stuff in your head. And like, of course, that's not going to leave you in a place that you feel empowered with your money
1: yeah uh you're and when all of your money's in there and your bills haven't come out came out yet it looks like you have way more money than you do yeah so you'll look at the numbers and be like oh god all right I have a ton of money but then you're then all the bills that you just paid that you knew you paid come out and you're like oh now I have 19 dollars
0: yeah oh no so, you know so you you touched on something there about like you know, human emotion and, you know, in the disconnect between like our budget and our emotion. And I know we wanted to talk a little bit about goal setting. So tell me like how that plays into when you're setting goals financially and like, you know, as you're, as you're plotting out these goals, your emotions versus your, your brain. Perfect.
1: Yeah. So I talk to a lot of people. Um, and one of the questions I ask on all of my sales calls is, well, If I had a magic wand and I could give you whatever it is that you wanted, what do you want? And then I hear people's goals. And what I've come to understand is that the way that people set financial goals is a huge indicator as to whether or not those goals will be met or be successful. So there are a couple major issues that I see in goal setting financially. So one is that we set tasks as goals and that's really like it's it's semantics a little bit but it's like when your goal is to say all right i want to increase my 401k contribution it's not a goal it's a task really you want to get the goals to the outcome level um because that's where the juice is that's where the life force is right like when we're Trying to change, you know, when we're trying uh, financial goals often require a change in behavior, a change in thinking, a change in habits. And so when you're trying to get your brain to rewire its neural pathways and your nervous system to learn to be comfortable in a different setting, you need something way more outcome-based than like a task. Like there's not enough juice and like logging into the computer and changing it from 10% to 11%, even though that's pretty easy. And so that, that one actually might just get done because it's on your to-do list. So when we're thinking about our financial goals, we always wanna get them to an outcome, outcome-based place. Now, what I wanna say that I think is, is also very important is that our conscious brain, the part of your brain that went to school, that part of your brain can go into the past and learn from your mistakes. It can go into the future and be like, okay, we are not on track for this. I can see into the future. Your subconscious brain lives right now, but your subconscious brain is in charge of your habits, it's in charge of your body, it's where your emotions like are, are felt and expressed. And you, so you feel your emotions in your body, but like they, they come from the subconscious. So the subconscious gets a signal and is like, this is upsetting fight or flight. It sends the chemicals to your body. Your body feels those feelings. Right. And so when we set our goals, a lot of times we set goals that are just for the sub or the, just for the conscious mind, like your conscious mind will be And, and the trick, the extra super duper, like messed up thing about this is like the way that our minds work is that once you achieve a goal, it's like, okay. And goalposts moved onto the next thing. We're not even having a cupcake about this. And your body's like, Wait, like you asked me to pack sandwiches for the last five weeks instead of getting quesadillas at work with my friends for this thing. That's on a spreadsheet. And I don't even get to go to a party. I don't even get a cupcake. I'm not listening to you ever again. I know it sounds a little funny, but th- really like we want to be thinking about like our conscious mind, and our subconscious mind as like two, two entities that are a team. If they're teamworking, if they're eroding trust with each other and they're not Like they're not taking care of each other. They're an ineffective team. So a lot of times with money goals, what I see is is goals that are very mental. They're very mental wins. Like, oh, like, and if you think about this too hard, the the metaphor kind of goes away. So you got to be a little gentle with the metaphor, but because it's all in your brain, like it's all one thing. Like they're not two separate entities. They're one entity. But for the sake of of explaining, you kind of want to think about them like they're like they're two. And so if the wins your body doesn't get to experience a lot of times, you're going to have a real hard time getting to those wins. So like when I'm like, all right, I want $10,000 in my savings account. And I'm like, why? Oh, because I'll feel more secure when I have $10,000 in my savings account. Uh, Your body's like, "Uh, actually I, uh, we have food and shelter and heat already. So I don't exactly know what you're talking about. I'm already feeling okay. Um, in that safe, I feel safe enough. So brain, you want me to do what for you to have this spreadsheet win? You want me to change 11 habits and never have snacks again? Okay, no, we're not gonna, we're not gonna, we're not gonna be willing to do that for you to have this spreadsheet win. So making sure that your goals are outcome based and that it's something that both your body, like your body and your subconscious mind gets to enjoy some of the the process with you for longer term goals. What we really want to do is kind of take them off of the goal list and put them more really work on it at a habit level. So things like retirement, like retirement is critically important. You're going to want to eat food in your old age. I promise you it's going to be important to you, but the thing is, is we want to set those things up and one have the, like some of the, some of the work done automatically. So we don't even really have to get the habit loops, but we want it to be more of a habitual thing. Like let's say brushing your teeth, right? You brush your teeth every day. Right. Right. Of course. Yeah. Look at you. I, I believe it a hundred percent. Now when you're brushing your teeth, are you in, in are you scrubbing away the plaque? Like, Hmm. My long-term goals on this are extended gum health well into old age.
0: No, it's no. just a habit. It's just, what yeah, we do. it's
1: just, you feel gross if you don't do it. And that's where we want to get with our savings habits, where it's just this thing that we do and we learn to trust ourselves in it. And it's just this thing that we work on, on the habit level. Like I say, you know, like um, in the invisible system, I talk about a working capital account, which does, a, it's a simplified version of sinking funds, if you've ever heard of a sinking fund, where that money is set aside for things that you are certainly going to need in the next 12 months. Like, you're certainly going to need, like, like currently, I need snow tires. I live in Connecticut. It's go, like, I'm going to have to go buy snow tires. And I know that it, I knew that it was coming. It's coming. Like, I also, like, have massive heating bills for a few months of the year. I knew it was coming. I'm definitely going to need to spend that money oil changes and like, you know, whatever these other things are, I know that it's coming. And so when I set that money aside, it's habitual and I'm taking care of my needs. And so that helps my conscious mind and my subconscious mind to, to work together and to feel safe. Right. And so like my conscious mind is like, all right, well, we did the math, you know, we're working together. We're going to do the math. We're going to think about all the things we need. And then the subconscious mind is like, all right, cool. We're gonna put that habit in place because we actually would love to have heat when it's cold out. We're in cool. But it's gotta be a like a, a habitual thing. So that way you kind of build that trust with yourself. Is that are you with me? Does it make sense?
0: Yes, I love, I love this. So tell us like an example. So like I'm I'm let's say that I'm someone who has not been successful with setting goals financially before. And this is all sounding really interesting to me and I want to try it. So like, where, where do you start if you want to start this habit and get your subconscious brain on board? Like what would be step number one, like holding a meeting with your subconscious and your conscious brain? Like, how do you kind of get that ball rolling between the two?
1: So this is what I have my clients do is we write down the goal. And one, we want to check that it is an outcome and not a task. And we want to check to make sure that it is a a win for both the mental and the physical, right? We want to make sure that it's not just a mental win. So then you're going to write your goal down on a piece of paper right at the top. And then you'll draw a line down the center. And then you're going to want to write down all the reasons why you want this goal. And then you're going to want to write on the other side of the paper all the reasons you don't want it, which sounds really People are like, no, I definitely want this. Well, that's your conscious mind. Your subconscious mind is going to have, generally, when you're looking to expand, you're looking to change, it's going to bring up some subconscious some, some fears. So sometimes you can even word it like, I would a- a really, really hate to have a vacation in Greece this summer. My deepest fear is I'm never going to be able to do it. My deepest fear is I'm going, the airplane will crash. My deepest fear is I'm going to spend the money on the vacation, and then I'm going to have to eat cat food when I'm old. My deepest fear is all these things. And so when you when you start to understand, because oftentimes we're a little conflicted, right? When we start a new goal, a lot of times we're not just 100% on board with ourselves. We're a little conflicted. So doing that work around, where where's my mental what do I what do I what am I going to get out of this why do I care about this what why why do I want this and why don't I want it you can start to see for yourself the truth about whether or not you actually want a goal because sometimes we set goals we either already have or we just don't want right like I have a couple examples um so Mine is like, mine is like a, uh, so you guys are on a podcast, but I'm like a voluptuous, chubby little financial advisor. Right. And so a couple of years ago, I decided I wanted to hire a trainer and get in shape. I wanted to be in shape. I'd gained some weight at the beginning of the business. And so when we kind of think about it, all right. So I'm like, all right, well, why do I want to do this? And I'm like, i want to look and feel sexy. The truth is though, I've always felt sexy. Like I, even if, even if I was a few pounds heavier or lighter, I'm curvy and fantastic. I'm married to a man who like, who loves me just whatever shape I'm in and which is, which is, which is a nice spot to be. So the thing is, is my goal that I had is my why I already had. So when I'm like going to go see the trainer every day, I actually enjoy going one I loved the trainer. I would go and hang out with my friend. She would listen to me talk about all my problems. There was a lot of satisfaction there. And I like lifting weights. So my body was like, okay, cool. We're down for this. We love lifting weights and one and two. But then when it was time to like change my eating habits, my body was like, what? Wait, we went to the gym today already for for this. And you want us to not go any chicken wings tonight? but you just got invited to go eat chicken wings and I'm kind of hungry and I would really like a chicken wing. And I'm like, yeah, but I want to feel sexy. And you're like, well, lucky for you self, we already feel sexy and chicken wings. It is. And I was doing this because I was conflicted. Right. Like, and so I didn't get a ton of momentum. Like I definitely changed shape, right. I changed shape, but the truth is, is the goal that I thought I wanted, I actually really didn't care to actually do the, do the work required to get the goal because I already felt like I had it, which yeah. now that I've confessed this, I feel like a crazy person, but I I confess this because I think we're all in a similar boat, which is sometimes like we set goals for things we actually already have, or we set goals for things that feel like should do's and not like want to's, right? Like, you know, and that's another massive area where people fail financially because, there's not enough life force in their goal to actually be willing to do what is required to do the thing. So once you have, once you have your goal written down and you have your reasons why you want it and why you don't, then you have to get to the place of like, all right, well, what would this goal take? What does this? What does it take? What needs to happen for this to happen? And so you want to divide that up into what I need to do and what I need to stop doing, and then you have to check check in with yourself for willingness. <clears throat> Am I willing to do this to get this? And if the answers, if you have a lot of yeses, you're going to be way more likely to get your goals. And are you willing to stop doing this to get this? And if the answer is no, then the truth is you don't want it. And you need to either dig deeper on the why, if it's something that you still really feel like you want, or you need to set a different goal that you actually do, want. Because when we're not willing to do what it takes to get a goal, we erode a lot of trust that we have in ourselves. Like it really erodes our self-confidence because then our conscious mind is setting a goal and our subconscious mind is like, dude, that conscious mind is nuts. We're not, we're not going on. I'm not doing any of what she just said. She's crazy. She doesn't even know what she wants. And she wants me to not eat snacks for the rest of the week. So she could do what? She's not getting that. It doesn't even matter. And that's like, That relationship between your conscious and your subconscious really, that's where we lose a lot of, it's where we, we just can't trust ourselves. And so doing this process helps you to start to bridge the gap between the conscious mind and the subconscious mind. So that way you see, you'll see when you do this activity, whether or not you actually are going to do the thing, you'll see it. It'll be real clear, like, Oh, a hundred percent unwilling to change my diet for that result. I'm not going to yeah. do it. And then you're like, all right, well, let's set a different goal. So back to my story, which is not about money, but like, so this year, or let me be that. So I I go see a trainer and the, I'm, I'm still curvy, but like, here's the thing. Last year, my goal was to be able to go river rafting in the grand Canyon. And cause there was hiking, there was like physical activity. Right. And I was like, I need to, I'm doing this. I want to do this. And also I want to not die. Like I want to be able to keep up. I want to be able to hike. I don't want anybody having to carry my stuff. I don't want to be embarrassed huffing and puffing on this on this hike. Funny enough, the it wasn't actually that much physical activity. I probably could have done it without going to the gym, but anyways. In my mind, I needed to be in real good shape. But like that to me made way more sense. And then I started really looking at that goal. So I have a friend of mine, named linda who is beautiful linda's well into her 70s and she's gorgeous stunning and linda takes her arm muscles and throws a kayak up on her car and will take herself kayaking and i'm like oh my god i want to be like linda i want to be in such good shape that well into my 70s i could just decide i'm going kayaking throw my little kayak up on my car and just like not having to wait for anybody like the same level of independence I would do in my 30 something year old body. I'm like that I want. I want that real bad. And that is a whole different why than like wanting to feel sexy when I actually already feel sexy, right? Like there's a whole different level of why, why would I do this? And that goal like I can imagine myself being 70 and throwing my kayak up with my little arm muscles. And like, the thing is, is to have that goal. I also don't necessarily need to change my eating habits too, too much. But if I wanted to lose a certain amount of weight, or I wanted to to do something, I may need to adjust that. But I'm like, I want to keep my body active and strong enough that I could do that. I don't, when I look at what it takes, I'm like, I don't need to be 10 out of 10 perfect in the eating realm. Like I'm, Better than a standard American diet. And I am pretty clean, but it's not perfect, right? And I'm like, if I wanted to be a bodybuilder, the seven out of ten probably isn't good enough. But like to be able to kayak into my 70s, I think seven out of 10 is probably good enough. And I can adjust that in my 40s or in my 50s if I find that it's it's not working anymore. But like for right now, it's about a, a path, right? It's a longer-term goal. So when we think about our money, the thing that that we want to remember is that money is a tool for creation to create the life that we want to live. Like that's the point of going to work. It's being able to buy the lifestyle that you want. And so you have to really kind of ask yourself, well, what do I want? Why am I going to work every day? Am I going to work to just pay my bills and die? Is that what I want? Am I going to work? So that way I could, you know, fund my target habit, which is like fine if that's the truth. But a lot of times, When we don't really let ourselves have those bigger goals, we end up settling for things very trinkets versus treasures. And so looking at your goals and really getting clear, you find there's a lot more. The other thing too is like, there's like a law of attraction. And so I've seen clients do significantly better achieving unrealistic goals that they really wanted versus achieving goals that they didn't really want. Like it's wild, wild the difference between when you set a goal you actually really care about, you actually really want to experience, do, have, be, whatever. And it doesn't feel like a should do. It feels like a, the, I, I want this. I would be happy to trade in margaritas for the rest of my life to be able to go swimming with the sharks in Australia. Yeah. You know, like, why, that's, that's a thing.
0: So why do you think these this kind of conversation is usually left out of the financial world because as I'm hearing you talk about this, I'm like, this makes so much sense. Like this is hundred percent how we need to be setting goals. And we've heard it maybe in the personal development space or in the mindset space. You know, we talk about our subconscious and our conscious mind, but like, if I went to, you know, just a standard financial advisor, like around the corner from me, they're not going to talk to me about recruiting my why into my goals or, you know, my lifestyle, or if I want to throw a kayak up on my car, you know, like that's not part of the normal financial conversations. Like, why do you think that's been left out in the mainstream conversations around finance? So my clients are
1: most always women. So I I don't know. So um, I'll answer it from the point of being a woman. And I don't know that the same answer applies if you're a man, but I'm I'll, I'll, go ahead and say it. So, you know, our grandmothers, right. So I'm 37. My grandmother was, was, uh, born. I don't exactly remember what year, but she was 10 when the great depression hit. So what's that? I don't know. 201919 uh, roughly. I'm probably wrong. If my mom hears this, she's probably going to shit talk me. Um, my mom was born in the fifties. Women didn't have access to bank accounts I, I, until the 60s. They didn't have access to loans. They couldn't get a, their own mortgage, I think, until 74. Um, and so for a very long period of time, women were property. Women were property of their husbands and not really in charge of earning. Like when it came to money, they only had control over one aspect of money, which was spending for household procurement, most most. And then, you know, obviously it's not true straight across the board, but for, for collective unconscious reasons, right? And so the best way to have a good life was to be, a, to get a good husband and to get a good husband, you have to be a good wife and men love to make women happy. And so having small desires or not, not really having your own desires, being easy to please makes you a better prospect as a wife. And so women have been conditioned to not have their own desires. It's, it's, there's a lot of cultural conditioning around it, around playing small, around not speaking up, around uh, really a lot of bindings around, around desires, um, like money, sex, uh, it, it's appetite in general, appetite for life in general, in all of its facets has been kind of uh, bound we're We're bound in that way, and so a lot of times it's not a question that we're asking. it's not anything that we're facilitating. We're not teaching ourselves our satisfaction points. we're not teaching ourselves our intuition to be like, "hmm, that is a that is a fuck yes or that is a hell no mm, what do you know we're not, and compound that with people pleasing, which is also some cultural conditioning. And so when it comes to the conversation around money, most of the time we have it backwards. And if it's all right, I will, I will play a little, I'll play a little joke with you. Yes. Yeah. All right. So let's just say I'm going into the kitchen and I say, Brit, I'm going to cook something. I need your help. What would be your first question? What can I do? Yeah. But like, what are you making? Do you want to oh, ask? Yeah, them? of course. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, if I then what if I said back to you, well, whatever's best for my kitchen knives? I know it doesn't make any sense. If I said, well, whatever the stove, whatever the stove can handle, you're like, what? This does not make any sense. I cannot help you with this. We do that with money all day. All day I talk to somebody who I'm like, all right, well, what do you want? well, I want whatever's going to be best for the money. Like that's, I cannot help you with that because there is no answer. You can Google from now until the day you retire and you're not going to come up with an answer for that because you're, tr- you're doing it backwards. You're saying, you're saying to yourselves, well, whatever's best for my kitchen knives. I'm going on a journey to where? Wherever's best for my car. It doesn't make sense. Mm. You can't get there from there. It doesn't make sense. You have to know what you're creating to use money as a tool. But the thing is, is that that you have to set the goal point for the creativity of the problem solving to come up in your mind. So for example, I have one time with a client, this is a grown man who's actually a dear friend of mine. His goal financially was to hike the Appalachian Trail. So we had to strip a 38-year-old man we got him down to $300 a month in expenses, $300 a month, because that's but he needed, that he needed to maintain to be. And then he had to save the money for the trip. And so that was his success. That was success for him. I've had other clients where we're buying houses and the, the plan is way different. You know, we're saving a down payment and we're buying, we're getting our credit in order. So the plan to get from here to here is, is different. So you always have to be asking yourself, what do I want? Because then the answer of what to do with the money becomes way more clear. When you're trying to do what's best for the money and you Google it, what you'll come up with is a standard. There is some standard advice for people who are going to work a W-2 job until they're 65 or 70. And there is some standard advice for that particular road if you deviate from that particular road, that advice no longer applies. And so most people are maybe on that path, but also maybe they don't want that exact financial answer. So the really like, you have to kind of look at like, all right, well, what do I want? What am I going for? And then the creativity of how, like, right, like you can use your kitchen knives to chop something, to slice something, to dice something, to, to I don't know what else you can do with kitchen knives yeah. um, you know but like you can use that same tool to make a whole lot of different cuts like right like we have kit- kitchen knives are a super versatile tool same thing money is money is a super versatile tool and so if we're asking what's best for the money instead of what am I creating we have it all backwards and you're you will google until your face is blue and never come up with an answer that is sufficient
0: yeah it makes total sense. And that's why, you know, it almost sounds like your whole mission and what you're doing is like putting the person back in the driver's seat. Like we've been putting money in the driver's seat, like money's driving the ship, it's driving the car. And this is, you know, how we're going to get to our goals. And yet money's really just the tool that we should be using to create the life and buy the life that we want, which is such a, sounds like a subtle difference, but it's a complete game changer.
1: Yeah, it changes, it's it's everything's a little bit different when you're looking at it that way, including how much money you need. Sometimes I have clients trading in their souls, their families, their health to work. And I'm like, you spend this much money because you're miserable, not because you need to. Misery is misery, exhaustion, and feeling guilty are three of the most expensive emotions you will use money you will use money to plug holes in your time or in your energy if you're exhausted if you're miserable you will use your money to numb and numbing is always expensive sometimes we shop sometimes we drink sometimes we you know numbing numbing is is an expensive activity because you're using your money to take the edge off of your life instead of making your life be the way that you want it to go and so There's never enough money to do that when you're miserable. Like when you're, you know, if you're working 8, 10, 12 hours a day doing something, answering your emails before you've even peed or had a cup of coffee, you know, sometimes what I find working with clients is their goals are way bigger than what they actually want. And I'm like, we don't have to work that hard. I mean, you could have that goal if you really want to, but it doesn't match what you want. Yeah. It doesn't match. Like like one time I have a client who... Wants a tiny house, like a, you know, like they're like a $35,000. This is what she wants. This is her dream. She's wanted a tiny house forever. And she tells me her numbers of goals. And I'm like, you do not need to make this much money to have this lifestyle. We could cut this goal mm-hmm. in a fraction for you to be able to do this. Like, yeah. well, where's the, where's the, you know, and it's because there's, and especially in the entrepreneurial space, there's this more. Can exit? Can you scale it? Yeah. Where's infinity? Can you have infinity do- dollars? Can you help an, an unlimited number of people in your business? Like, and so sometimes we get so obsessed with scaling and growing that we miss the forest for the trees. Some, um, and can really end up growing a business that's bigger than what we want, uh, or I'll, I confess to this, I have done this, or I've spent money recklessly in my business to make it bigger than it is like where like maybe my systems and my structure not all the way there, but I'll spend all the money on the Facebook ads to get more people in or things. But now I see it, but like, I didn't always see it because, you know, cause I'm, I'm learning this as I teach it, you know, every time I, I teach, you know, every time I learn something, I get, I get to teach it. So some of the, so some of the stuff that I teach is, you know, not learned in books. Like I learned it the hard way. Yeah. So, um, you know, so some, I recently just decommissioned a massive goal for myself for the longest time. I was like, I want to give away a hundred million dollars, which means I would need a billion dollar company. Mm. I don't want a billion dollar company. I don't, I really don't like, I don't want that. I, I love loving my people. The person that's going to have a billion dollar company is going to love the systems. I don't love systems. I love the humans. And if I loved systems enough, I could probably maybe get there. Where, but like, I don't get off on building great systems. I get off on when, like yesterday, a client told me that, um, this is a client who, who finished with me some, some time ago. She's an alumni, that she bought a $610,000 condo on a lake in Seattle, all in her own. She didn't need her husband's income to be able to qualify for the mortgage. For, and I knew where she started from. And so I know what a success that is. And I was so happy. I cried with her. I was like, I'm so happy too. I was so excited. I couldn't even type words. I was just banging on my keyboard (laughs) responding to her. And so I'm like, the thing is, is like, I don't necessarily want all that. So when I started really looking at this process, I was like, oh my God, I've been structuring my life and my business around a goal I actually really don't Mm -hmm. want. The level of impact that I want will be deeper and a little smaller and I'm just one human in one lifetime and I can be satisfied with the the size of the business I actually want instead of just you know you know I read the 10x book I read I read all the books scale it do more do more do more do more and I'm like come to find out I actually don't want to do all that I'm not and when I'm that's the truth and am I willing? to do those things and I I get to a point where I'm like no I'm really not you want me to work at night too often Mm -hmm. no unwilling you want me to work on a Saturday unwilling you want me to take calls like coaching calls like could I make more money of course like I only take one private client at a time could I take more yes there are more hours in the day do I want to work them nope I don't that's why I don't and yeah. knowing where your own satisfaction point is, I think was like a really big game changer for me. And uh, just cause like, I totally got sucked into like more, more 10 X that you need more, you need systems, you need structures, you need 10 times as much money to make an impact and be happy. And I'm like, uh, I'm actually already happy. So yeah. how much money do I actually really need enough to redo my kitchen? And pay my staff (laughs) generously like you know
0: like yeah it's easy to do it's very easy to do and I know a lot of these like books and these systems and stuff they often leave out the ripple effect too like you're talking about having like a deep impact on a few number of people but like those people have kids and those kids are going to have kids and like the impact that you're having is not just your students it's like this massive ripple that these books and stuff often leave out you know we just think literal numbers of people. And I know you have a hard stop coming up here. So I want to be respectful of your time. And I want to be sure that people know where to find more of you, because I'm sure that after listening to this episode, they're addicted to you and they want to jump into your communities and all the things. So tell them the best place to, to reach you and your teachings.
1: Sure. So if you look sheep to shark, I'm on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook so you can search Dano or sheep to shark on any of those platforms and find me um there's a quite a bit of free content uh on facebook there's a little bit on instagram and youtube has some videos also um so that's that's it and then if somebody I don't know. We have a, like our find your bleed is our starter course. And that helps to look at your money through a lens of like time, money, and energy, and really like adjust your habits for efficiency and some just real life, like human shit. Um, and so that you can go to findyourbleed.com If that's something that is interesting to you. Um, that's, our, mm-hmm. that's our first course, our starter
0: course there. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Bree. I am so appreciative of you coming on here and having this like radically honest conversation about money. I think it's so, so needed. And I know that people listening are going to just be so um, impacted by it. So I really appreciate your time. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm so happy
1: that your people are going to listen. I'm like really working hard to get it out there. I uh, It hurts my feelings watching people financially suffer. It does.
0: Yeah. I I can see that. I get that from you. All right. Well, thank you so much, Bree. My pleasure. Appreciate your time.